A Rock and a Hard Place. I'm Hannah. And I'm Colleen. And we're going to tell you about our life in Iraq. It's going to be fun. I hope so. As promised, this episode is going to be about the Chaldean Church. That's right. I forgot we gave a teaser about it. <laughs> yes, we did. I even just edited that and I forgot. Whoops. And it's not even going to be just one episode. Oh, no. We're talking about thousands of years of church history condensed into podcast format. So we're talking at least two episodes, maybe three. We'll see how many questions I have for you along the way since you did all the work for this one. Whew. It's going to be good. Yeah, and I got turned on to this by a question from John, who's a Chaldean living in America, whose parents immigrated to America a while ago. So he was born and raised in the U.S. And he wanted to know the state of the Chaldean church presently. And I thought, most Americans don't know what we mean when we say Chaldean church yeah. or Chaldean Christians. So how do I explain that in a way that can tell them what's happening now? And it turned into this whole research project. You went down the rabbit hole. So many rabbit holes and bunny trails outside the rabbit holes, but I think I've got it. Okay. I think I've got it locked in. So a little bit of church history and then a lot of church history and then some more church history <laughs> and then what's happening with Christians in Iraq now. But like not the same church history that most Western Americans normally have. Right. Okay. So let's start there. We're going to work backwards because I a little bit believe that history should be taught in reverse order. Oh. Rather than from the past to the present. I really think we should teach from the present to the past. Huh. I think it would be more interesting. All right. That's a philosophy of my life. Um, <laughs> so we're going to start with the touch point. Basically in Christianity, in Western Christianity, we know about two branches, big general branches, which are Protestants and Catholics. Protestants and Catholics. And that started with the Reformation. And what's the guy's name with the Reformation? Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Okay. <laughs> Everybody knows about the Reformation, Catholic, Protestant. Most people also know that like the Roman Catholic Church, which is how we're going to refer to that church from mm -hmm. this point on, the Roman Catholic Church, separated at some point from maybe there are two different churches, but the one that's not Roman Catholic, no one in America knows the history of that church. Right. So if we walk back from the Protestant Reformation, which happened in the 16th century, mm -hmm. we walk all the way back to the 11th century, Right. we have what's called the Great Schism. The Great Schism. The Great Schism. And that is when the Great Church split into two two main branches the catholic church so you got your roman catholic church mm -hmm. which kind of shortly thereafter splits into the protestant church in church history timeline okay so you got your roman catholic church and then you have your eastern orthodox church okay so eastern orthodox is an earlier split an earlier split yes and what it basically means is that the roman catholic church kind of took Europe and West, mm -hmm. and the Eastern Orthodox Church kind of took Gr Greece, Turkey, East, mm -hmm. 
kind of. So if we take a step back before even that, we're going to get to the first real big church split okay. when in was church this? history. Uh, this was 431. Okay, so 5th century. 5th century, okay. So this is the first big one, and this is after Constantine and Charlemagne and all those people established mm -hmm. Christianity as part of government. So the church gets together, and they have this big council called the Council of Ephesus. And I think some of us know about some of the other councils that happened that, like, firmed in place the canon of scripture and stuff like that. So in this Council of Ephesus, the church sits down and they say, there's this guy named Nestorian, all right? Dude named Nestorian, who we're pretty sure is, mm, he's an apostate. Okay. Like, he is teaching things that are heresy. He's a heretic. All right. I'm pretty sure he's a heretic. And the things that Nestorian was teaching... So there's this thing called the hypostatic union. Great. That's right. a lot of syllables, Hannah. It's a lot of syllables. I, this, is, this is a little bit intense Bible college theology here. So the hypostatic union basically means this is what the church has believed for centuries. This was the, the, the falling out. Hypostatic union is that Christ is fully God and fully man joined in one person. Okay. Okay, that's the hypostatic union. Mm -hmm. Nestorius said, mm, he can't be both. He's either fully man or he's fully God. He cannot be both of those things. That would be a bit of a problem. And so the church goes, no, 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 you're out. When Nestorian, Nestorius leaves, he takes a, a big branch of the church with him which calls itself the Church of the East. Okay. Okay. We're going to jump forward. Okay. Several several hundred years. Before before we jump forward though. He is essentially kicked out of what was at that time you were calling the Great Church. The Great Church. And he and his followers mm -hmm. who are where uh, Middle Eastern primarily. Middle Eastern Central Asia. Yeah. Okay, they all decide to follow Nestorius, and the people who were still at the Council of Ephesus mm -hmm. create what became the Roman Catholic Church down the road. I mean, both the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox oh, right. Church. So that's still... The, it's pre The Great Church. Split. The Great Church is what it's known as, yes. Okay. okay. So yeah, the Great Church, it goes on, splits into Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic splits into Protestant, Roman Catholic, Protestants do all kinds of things. Yeah. And thus church history is born. So this is like really the big, the first big like, mm, problem. Okay. I just want to get this out of the way now because it doesn't fit in the rest of my timeline. This issue with Nestorius turns out big miscommunication. Ah. Possibly some language barriers, possibly some letters lost in transit. He didn't really believe that the hypostatic union wasn't true. So in some ways he was kicked out for something that maybe he didn't actually believe. Right. But enough hurt feelings, enough problems, and probably the break is real. Politics are probably involved in there yeah. somewhere. 
as of 1992. Oh. So, centuries later. Indeed. Pope John Paul II and Patriarch Dinka IV got back together and said, Hey, some miscommunication. Sorry that happened. Are we cool? And, and they are. So Nestorius is no longer really considered a heretic by the Roman Catholic Church. Oh. So the, it's a joining rather than a, a splitting. That's yes, new. The Church of the East has has been taken off of the, the heretic. Catholic bad list. Okay. They're friends again. They're friends again. So, you know, it only took multiple centuries for them to be all right with each other. Several hundred years later... Okay, so let's talk about the Church of the East. The Church of the East is not Eastern Orthodoxy, okay? Church of the East splits before Eastern Orthodoxy does. Okay. And according to church history, and I think even the Roman Catholic Church would agree with this at this point, it has its roots was begun by the Apostle Thomas in the first century. You remember Thomas. Wasn't he the one who went to India, theoretically? Yeah, he gets there eventually. He starts out by going up from Palestine, that area, up into Iraq. Which is why we're talking about the Chaldean Church, because it's in Iraq. Gotcha. Goes up into Iraq, specifically into the Mosul, Nineveh area. Mm. Makes a couple disciples, plants a church, then moves on. Okay. So, St. Thomas's church planting spreads from there all the way across into India and even into China. Mm-hmm. Okay, he makes his way east pretty rapidly. We're not going to talk about all of that, except to say that there are some St. Thomas churches still in India. Mm-hmm. The ones in China and farther kind of got wiped out. The ones in India held on for a while. Uh, well, still. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of fall in the same category as the Chaldean church does. Okay. We'll get there. So yes, he moves. he keeps moving east. It expanded in the 6th century, so they sent missionaries from that central Mosul area out and grew the church pretty big, actually, in the 6th century. It went from the Mediterranean Sea across Central Asia into India and China, like we just said. Yeah, I remember reading something about, uh, in China, this pillar from, I think, that time period with a bunch of, like biblical writings on it Mm -hmm. and everyone's like this is old how did this get to be here so long ago well there were believers in china Mm -hmm. at that time and then there's a decline in the church specifically in the middle east in part there's i don't know if you've ever heard of the mongol horde Mm -hmm. they come through and wipe a lot of things out yeah they're bad news for a lot of people yes But specifically in the Middle East, you start to have the rise of the Ottoman Empire. And there is specifically a ruler named Timur. Okay. Have you heard of Timur before? No. He's apparently fairly famous Turkish. He's Turco-Mongol. Oh. So you got Turks and Mongols together in one person. I imagine he's very fighty. (laughs) All right. So he does a lot to diminish the church. Okay. It stays pretty strong in Mosul, in the Nineveh area. They stay very faithful. They're pretty well established there. They're not going anywhere. So that's the 14th century. Okay. In 1552, all right, there is 
a three-way split. Ooh. It really is more of a two-way split, and then one of those two branches also splits in half. Yeah. Later. This is where this is where it gets complicated. Everything up to now has been easy. Yeah, well, once you start splitting into more than two parts, it gets a little more complicated. It's true. It's true. So we're still the Church of the East. Mm-hmm. Okay? Still got the Church of the East. We're going to split now. Uh, they call it the Schism of 1552. We already used the word schism, so I'm going to call it a split. And uh, we split off into a couple of different things. Here's why. Okay. Up to this point, mm-hmm. the patriarchy of the church, so kind of like their version of the pope. Right. Has been hereditary. Oh, rather than appointed or elected or right. anything like that. But because they hold the same... Uh, ideas of celibacy in their priesthoods. It's not past father-son because they don't have father-son. They don't have father-son. It's past uncle-nephew. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing it that way. I know. My mind was blown. What if your brothers don't have kids? Or what if you don't have brothers or sisters? Or, like, wow. This is the problem that they ran into. Because Uh it gets passed down this way, they ran out of eligible heirs to the patriarchy. Because it started to be that, like, you had your patriarch, but his oldest nephew was 11 years old, but he's about to die. Do you put an 11-year-old in charge of the whole church? That don't seem right. Yeah, that kind of makes the whole system fall apart a bit, doesn't it? Okay. And that's what happens... To, I'm going to butcher this name, but please stay with me. There are a lot of complicated names. Shimon VII, okay, that's kind of his title. Uh-huh. Kind of like Pope John Paul II. It's not his real name. Mm-hmm. So, Shimon VII, mm-hmm. known as Ishoyab. All right. He made two controversial appointments for his heirs. You'll, you're going to understand why. <laughs> you, you're seeing the confused look on my face. I'm like, uh, wait a second, two? He can't have two. Okay? First, he appoints his 12-year-old nephew. Uh-huh. Which, you know, may be traditional, but, like, is problematic. Because right. he's 12. Right. Everybody kind of goes, he's 12. Not to be unfeeling about this, but the problem is solved because the 12-year-old nephew dies. Hmm. So okay. The, the heir dies. Was he assassinated? I, I don't know. They're not really clear records. Probably disease. Okay. I mean, a lot of people died then. It's true. diseases. So he then appoints his 15-year-old nephew, whose name is Eliah. Why didn't he appoint the 15-year-old nephew to begin with? Maybe he's a little further away. Maybe it's his sister's son instead of his brother's son. All right. I don't really know. It's the next Beth's nephew. Maybe he liked him less. (laughs) I mean, 15-year-olds can be a little trying. Sure. 12-year-olds can't be. No, 12-year-olds can be, too. If you've listened to our podcast for a while, you know that Hannah and I both raise support, as does our ministry. If you would like to help out with any of that, please head over to servantgroup.org backslash donate and you can give. Thanks. 
So now we have Eliah. Yeah, remember the name Eliah. Eliah. Come up Eliah, later. Eliah. Who becomes known as Patriarch Eliah, and he's either the sixth one or the seventh one. It depends on how you count the Eliahs. Okay. But he's. I he's, feel like counting should be pretty straightforward. It should one, be. Two, three. But like, there are some like. Was this guy really known as Eliah? Was he known as something else? Okay. This guy was only there for like a year. Do we really count him? So Patriarch Eliah, the we're sixth gonna, or seventh? We're going to call him the seventh because we hate to leave anyone out. Okay. Patriarch Eliah the seventh. And he began the Eliah line Okay. of patriarchs. Uh-huh. So he and, got all of his nephews to be named Eliah? So that they could be more alive. All of the subsequent patriarchs after him in that line aren't necessarily... They are named after him. Okay. That's their title. Instead Uh of Shimon Seventh, we get Eliah Eighth. All right. The seat of that line of power is in Alkosh. Okay. You've been to Alkosh. I've been to Alkosh lots of times. I've been to Alkosh. What's the big thing in Alkosh that we go to? The monastery. Yeah. That monastery has been there since the... 600? 5th century? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really early or on. 400? Yeah. It's way, been there for a long, long, way, long, way, long way time. Way, way, way back. Long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of always been the seat of some of the power. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah. It's like the school for the priests that then go out. There are a lot of Christian towns. This is one of those bunny trails that I got on. We're going to have to do a whole separate episode episode on Christian towns in Iraq because it's very interesting but we don't have time because it's not about church history it's just about history history <laughs> okay okay so both of these appointments uh-huh the 12 year old who died and the 15 year old who did not die made him really unpopular right people were like they're young they're young they can't leave the church right we don't want them to be in charge fair and then in addition to this Shimon the seventh also got accused of allowing his priests to have concubines. All right. Problem if celibacy is your key. He sold clerical posts. Uh-huh. So, like, you couldn't necessarily earn the place that you wanted. You had to buy it. Money, money. It's a little bit of corruption. And then the other thing he was accused of, which is vague, is living intemperately. Oh, I suppose we're allowed to leave that open to interpretation. But perhaps alcohol, concubines, big feasts, not really being the loud leader. Loud music, late the, at night. Yeah, the leader that he should be. I'm sure he had a rock and roll band. Right. Electric guitar and all. Electric guitar and all. Yes. So, people are upset. Mm-hmm. They don't like the Alliance line. They don't like Shimon the Seventh. They don't trust his judgment. And so three of the Christian districts rebel against this appointment. Okay. They say, forget it. We don't want him in leadership. Instead, we want this monk from Alkosh, mm-hmm. which is the patriarchal seat. He is going to be the new patriarch. And they named him Shimon, not Shimon. Oh. Shimun the Eighth. Okay. Were there other Shimuns? Apparently so. Okay. 
but his name is Johanna Sulakwa. All right. So he, Shamoon the Eighth, mm-hmm. starts the Shamoon line. So now we've got the Shamoon line separate from the Elia, Eli, Elia, Elia, Elia line. Yep. So they say, we want this guy. He's going to be our patriarch. Forget you, Elia line. Get out of our face. Okay. They run into this problem. There is no bishop of appropriate rank who was available to consecrate Shimon Eighth as patriarch. Okay. So he couldn't be patriarch because he couldn't be consecrated into that place. Role. Probably because all the bishops... We're like, eh, no, we're going to stick with the Elia line. That seems the right thing to do. Okay. I feel like this is something they should have, you know, planned for. Yeah. I mean, people do a lot of things in anger that are not well planned out. This is true. So, in addition to all of these Church of the East people, there are some Franciscan monks. From the Roman Roman Catholic Catholic Church. Church. And these Franciscan monks, who have been working to try to convert all of these people back to Catholicism, right? they go, we have a solution for you. Uh Uh-huh. You want him to be consecrated? Sure, yeah. Send him to Rome. Pope Julius III will consecrate him. Ooh. You get consecrated by the Pope, that means that, like, you really are in charge. There you go. Sulacqua travels to Rome. Uh-huh. Which is a big trip from Mosul to Rome. True. In the 1550s. Right. He meets with Pope Julius III. Pope Julius III goes, You seem like a really great Catholic. I'm going to consecrate you as the patriarch of Mosul. Ooh, okay. Which means that, according to the Catholic Church, he is the spiritual head of the Mosul region of northern Iraq at this point. So that happens in 1553. So it takes him about a year from the rebellion to getting consecrated by the Pope. All right. Okay. That's a long time to have your whole church in limbo, but okay. It is, but you gotta do what you gotta do. This consecration causes a permanent break between the Catholic Church and the Church of the East. Because the people who got consecrated are no longer considered part of the Church of the East. Correct. They are considered Roman Catholic. Sort of. Okay. The Church of the East would consider them Roman Catholic at this point. Yes. Okay. So the Church of the East keeps going Church of the East. This new Catholic-y Church of the East branch Mm -hmm. says, we're not really Roman Catholic, and we're going to get into why they're not really Roman Catholic. We're not Church of the East. Mm Mm-hmm. We are the Chaldean Church at this point. Let me take a little moment to explain. Chaldean does not indicate their ethnicity. Oh. Okay. Chaldean is an ethnicity, ancient people group. Right. Babylonians and Chaldeans of scripture. But the Chaldean Catholics aren't necessarily from that ethnic background. Okay. It's just the name that the Roman Catholic Church gave them to distinguish them from the Church of the East. Because they're not Roman. Because they're not Roman. They're not Church of the East. Iraq as a country didn't exist at that point. 
Right. So they're like, well, you're in Chaldean Babylonian. We don't really want to call you the Babylonian church. That's yeah. sketchy. Yeah. We'll call you Chaldean. Okay. Okay. Not, not, a, not an ethnic name okay. at that point. Right. Even now, I would say not really ethnic. Okay. It's a church tradition for sure. And when we get back into, like, there's some mingling that happens. We have the Chaldean Church, Church of the East, Roman Catholic Church. Right. We have the Alaya Line, the Shamoon Line. We got to go back to Salakwa. Mm-hmm. Because he, he has some... Took the trip to Rome and back. Takes the trip to Rome. He also gets recognized by the Ottoman Empire as an independent Chaldean patriarch. Okay. And this is kind of important. Because the Ottoman Empire recognized the Church of the East mm-hmm. as kind of people of the book sort of thing. They were protected under the Ottoman Empire from persecution somewhat. somewhat. So in order for the Chaldean Church to also be considered legitimate, they need to be recognized by the Ottoman Empire. Okay. I suspect that Pope Julius kind of leans on the Ottoman Empire a little bit and is like, hey, recognize this guy because I recognized him. Or the Ottoman Empire went, we want to keep the Roman Catholics happy so they leave us alone, so we're going to recognize this new Chaldean patriarch. And the Ottoman Empire is the empire in control of northern Iraq at this point. You're right. Okay. Salakwa returns to Mosul and starts appointing bishops in the Chaldean church. Because he doesn't want to run into this problem again, where whoever he appoints to take over from him can't be consecrated. Right. So it sounds like maybe, you know, he's trying to set up things to be sustainable and right. continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Not everyone, obviously, is on board with the Chaldean church. No, of course not. A lot of anger. So Salakwa gets invited to Amadi. Also a place I've been. Beautiful kind of tabletop city, ancient old gates and roads and like beautiful. Historically Christian. Yes. Village. Okay. So he gets invited to Amadi by the governor of Amadi, who puts him in prison. What? And then puts him to death in 1555. What? Dude's only been in power for like two years. Yep. Because... Surprise! The Amadi government supported the Elia line, uh-huh. not the Shamoon line, and considered Sulakwa a heretic. Why did he go? Probably because the governor was like, so, come and tell me about this new church. Let's, let's dialogue about this. Uh-huh. Sneaky. I will say... There is some debate about what actually happened at Amadi. Okay. There's always two sides to every story. There are always two sides to every story. The Chaldean church is going to stick with the Salakwa was... Assassinated. Assassinated. And the church of the east is going to be like, I mean, he just came in and died. He just happened to die while he was there. Or perhaps he committed a crime. And that's why. We'll never know. Uh, There's not really a good counter story. Yeah. Which happens. So, but he had set up an, a successor whose name was Abdusho IV. Was he related? Was he a nephew? No. Ah. Because that was the whole thing. 
was they wanted the hereditary line thing to be done. I think, I mean, it sounds kind of like a good plan, although it does leave things more open to potential conflict. It does, which happens. <laughs> oh, no kidding! <laughs> Way to see the future <laughs> past. I mean, I feel like history repeats itself, all of these things. It does. Okay, so we got the two the two lines. Elia, Shamoon. Yep. Shamoon, the, dude, died. The Church of the East, the Chaldean Church, okay, in 1672, mm -hmm. so 120-ish years later, the Chaldean Church has kind of wandered away from the Roman Catholic Church. Right. Like, they've kind of gotten out of touch with them, kind of said, we don't really need you anymore. We just needed you to consecrate us that one time, and now we got it. Right. We're good. We don't want to follow your leadership anymore. Okay? So that's Shimun the 13th that does that. Okay. Still in the Shimun line. His name is Dinka. He, in 1672, renounces Rome entirely. Ooh, and okay. says, we don't need Rome anymore. We are our own church. We're not going to follow you. Uh, and this branch mm -hmm. officially becomes known as the Assyrian Church of the East, but not until 1972. Okay. So now we have 300 Assyrian. years later. So now you have Church of the East. Uh huh. No Roman Catholic connection at all. Chaldean Church still wants to be associated with Rome. Okay. And then the Assyrian Church of the East, who was associated with Rome. And then said, no, forget it, we're gone. Okay, we so this is kind of, of our second little split here. Right. But that's the Shamoon line. So you have the Eliah line, that's mm -hmm. Church of the East. The Shamoon line starts the Chaldean church and then splits off into the Assyrian church. Right. The but line still... that stays with the Chaldean church and the Catholic church uh -huh. is known as the Josephite line. Okay. Because it was led by Joseph I, and he stayed with Rome, continued to carry on the Chaldean church Are traditions. all three of these still based out of, like, Al-Kush and yeah. Mosul? Yeah, all out of northern Iraq. So complicated and yeah. difficult. The Chaldean church would claim Mosul as their seat, but probably most of their power comes from Al-Kush. Okay. I mean, Al-Kush is very close to Mosul. So. Right. And... We'll find out a little bit more what happens to the Church of the East line mm -hmm. in the next episode. Next episode. Dun dun dun. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram, and you should check out our blog and complete transcripts over at servantgroup.org. And it's really helpful for us if you share our podcast or leave a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. It helps us know that people are listening and you can let us know what you want to hear next. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.